however. How are you doing this morning? Good? Ready to get into the fam? Talk a little bit more about it. We're going to talk about marriage here today. I I believe it's probably safe to say that uh, marriage is in crisis in our society today. You agree with that? Marriage is in crisis in our society today. And I think a lot of us would probably think right out of the gate, well, that's because divorce rates are so high. And um, surprisingly, marriage is in crisis today, but, but not because of divorce. Divorce rates have actually uh, been declining in recent years, uh, but not because uh, couples are getting better at marriage necessarily, but increasingly because people are not getting married at all. Marriage rates are going down. And obviously that adds to the crisis of what we're uh, talking about in our society. And a, a, couple of, um, a couple of things to note here, one from The Atlantic, which is a new source I follow, um, they, they write that what's behind the declining divorce rate is the decline of marriage. Uh, millennials uh, waiting longer to get married, as well as a rise in cohabitation relationships for all age groups. Uh, one researcher said, in order to get divorced, you have to get married first. And that's just not happening. Uh, Global News reported, and and this is an Angus Reid poll, they reported a recent Angus Reid poll from 2016 found that, this is a little shocking to me, 53% of Canadians felt that marriage wasn't even necessary. I mean, more than one in two people believe that marriage isn't even necessary any longer. Uh, Married couples still represent the majority of all couples in Canada, but common law relationships now represent 21% of all relationships. And that, by the way, was just 6.3% back in 1981. So it's risen from about 6% to 21% uh, today. Now, now, when you add those societal trends, like what we see happening in the culture around us, to what we know to be true as people who are part of a church community, our biblical soul care ministry, and what we know as pastors and elders, is that even those couples who get married and stay married are experiencing Um, often experience significant dysfunction in their marriages. In other words, there are a lot of bad marriages that stay together. And that too adds to the crisis. And none of that, a divorce rate, whether high or low, people not getting married, cohabitating together, people in marriage but in bad marriages, none of that is God's plan for us. He wants your marriage not only to stay together, but he actually wants your marriage to be awesome. And I hope you believe that that's actually possible. And then we could ask the question coming out of that, what does it take? If God wants me to have an awesome marriage, what is it going to take to have that? How can I build a strong marriage? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at four principal passages from the scriptures that speak about uh, marriage. And, and really in this message, because it's a single message on marriage, as we look at each of those passages, we're just going to kind of skim right through them. Now, we are inviting you to go to a little deeper with all of this. And we've uh, set up a resource page at harvestberry.ca slash the fam. And there are books and articles and videos And these messages uh, from the series are all going to be there uh, for you to look more deeply into all of this. Today we're going to look at what it takes to build a strong marriage. Let's pray uh, before we start uh, looking at the first passage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that uh, you have ordained marriage for us as human beings. Thank you that you have instructed us concerning these things. And Father, I pray that each person in the room, whether married 
or maybe were married and it, and it ended in failure, or perhaps those who are not yet married but anticipating it, Father, I pray that we would all hear that you, what you have for us today, and we would just double down, Father, on having the awesome marriage that you uh, want us to have. Father, thank you for grace uh, for those in the room for whom this is very difficult. Thank you for those who are single and who will hear all of this and who yet will learn and who will pray for their friends around them and their marriages. So, Father, in whatever way you want to speak to each one of us here today, I pray, God, that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? All right, ready to go? All right, if you want to have a strong marriage, it must be built. We're going to build a full statement here around this, but it must be built on the right foundation. Now, if you could grab your Bibles and turn to the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to look there in a a moment, but let's start with uh, this verse up on the screen, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God's established marriage, it's his institution, he gave it to us, and he's telling us that if you build it on anything other than what his intention is for marriage, then you are headed toward crisis and you are headed toward failure. Unless the Lord builds the house, you can't build the house, you're not going to let the world build the house, you're not going to let the society around you build the house, the Lord has to build this house. Otherwise, it's going to be in vain. If you're trying to do marriage your way or the world's way, it's not going to turn out to be awesome. And so God himself established marriage. I had you turn to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And of course, this is the creation account. God's telling us how he made everything. The first chapter is really very poetic in nature. It's an introduction, kind of a a praise of everything else he's going to say. And then chapter 2, he goes into far more detail about the creation. And so uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then a little bit later on, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. That's like the summary statement over the creation of the first human beings. And then in chapter 2, verse 20, Adam now has the task. Eve has not yet been created. Adam has the task of naming all of the animals. And as each one of them comes to him, he names them. But then there's a crisis in the sense that he doesn't find anything that matches him. There's nothing there for him to feel that he is complete in the creation. In fact, verse 20 says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so verses 22 and 23, the Lord God makes his sleep come upon Adam. And then he uh, takes a rib. He makes a woman and he brought her to the man. And then Adam said at this at last, you see this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman or whoa, man. The men know what I'm talking about here, okay? The men totally know what I'm talking about. Because when you find the one, it is definitely, whoa, man. So I don't think I'm interpreting that incorrectly. Because she was taken out of man. And then um, verse 24 tells us about the relationship we call marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
Now that verse is so critical to our foundational understanding of what marriage is. In fact, there are five foundational principles that we see in this one verse. Let me give these to you. Number one, um, marriage is, according to the verse, heterosexual. Now that's controversial in our culture today. I know that by saying that, that makes it very controversial. We've addressed that in a previous series. But marriage, according to God's design, is male and female. Secondly, Marriage is distinct from parents. God says that we're to leave our father and mother. I can't tell you the number of marriages that are under stress today because mom and dad can't keep their hands off their kids' marriages. And God calls it out in the very first pages of the scriptures. We're to leave father and mother Create a new family and a new home. Parents, stay out of your kids' marriage. Here's a third foundational principle. It is monogamous. It is exclusive. We are not only to leave, but we're to cleave to our husband and wife. No one else is getting between us. No other person is going to take our hearts away. Our commitment is to the one we married. Fourth, it is a spiritual union. It is one flesh. There's something divine, something mysterious, something mystical that takes place in the marriage union. It's less obvious in those first days and years of marriage. But I can assure you, having been married 29 years, 29 years of being one flesh with Cheryl, that I can't even imagine at this point what life would be like without her. And as those years continue to tick by, I imagine that the, the, the intensity around the one flesh nature of our relationship is only going to get deeper and deeper. And it's going to get more and more difficult to imagine what life would be without her. Because God is doing something divine, something spiritual, something mystical between the two of us to make us into one flesh. And then fifth here, it is lifelong We are to hold fast to one another. When young couples uh, stand in front of me and um, I do a wedding ceremony for them, we go through all the rest of the ceremony then we get to the point where it's time to take the vows. And I always pause at that moment right there because that's the point of no return. And I ask them again, in light of everything else I've said in this ceremony, do you really want to take your vows now? Because this is a no going back point. Once you say your vows, and listen, I, I know we live in a society where we throw these things away so easily. We, we, we don't think about relationships the way we ought to. And, and we're not hearing what the scriptures are saying about vows. Let your yes be yes, Jesus said. Are you ready to take your vows? And, and, and having taken them now, are you going to keep those vows? This is lifelong. You're going to hold fast. It's for a lifetime. Five foundational principles for marriage that God lays down in this one verse. Any deviation from the fivefold foundation serves to undermine what God's instituted. And I know there's grace when marriages end. I know that God extends forgiveness. And please hear that if that's you. But that's not God's ideal. And what we're reaching for here in marriage is is awesomeness. It's God's design. It's, It's the maximum blessing that he would have for us 
And so we're going to establish marriage on the right foundation. And you say, I just feel like marriage is so far gone and Christians have become so outraged about what society has done to marriage. So much outrage by the Christian community over same-sex marriage and the government doesn't define it the way we do and the way the word of God defines it and our country is so corrupt. And listen, why are we so outraged over same-sex unions and what that has meant for the definition of marriage when we were largely silent over the ravages of adultery and divorce. Let's just say that our outrage should extend way beyond one thing that's causing a crisis for marriage, and our outrage should extend to all things that are causing a crisis in marriage. And then commit ourselves again to getting back to the foundation that God himself has established for all of this. So again, we're building a statement here. If you want to have a strong marriage, it must be built on the right foundation. And then notice this next. According to the God-established roles for husbands and wives. Men and women are equal, but not the same. Men and women are equal, but not the same. Where feminism fails is in trying to make the sexes the same, and they're not the same. Men and women are equal, but not the same. Our foundational principle brings a man and a woman together to complete one another as one flesh, and each brings unique things to the relationship. Each responds differently within the marriage relationship. And so God has established different roles for each one to play within that marriage relationship. But first we have to look at the one thing we actually are equal in, the thing that we we have in common in the relationship. We'll lay that down in general for both, and then we'll talk more specifically about each one and the, and the individual role. So we're in Ephesians 5 right now. How many of you are already there, Ephesians 5? The rest of you get to Ephesians 5 fairly quickly, and we're going to look at verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21, where we see this line, that we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're about to go into a section on marriage, and one of the challenges is that most marriage sermons have started at verse 22 and not looked at verse 21. Verse 22 is, wives, submit to your husbands. And so they've always started there. So that's what the wife has to do. She has to submit. Then they jump to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. But what they've missed is verse 21 that actually says that we are to be submitting to, what does it say? One another, each other. In other words, both the wife and the husband are both required to submit to each other. And all the women said, all right, that's what I thought. (laughs) I love this preacher. We should come here all the time. This guy's so good. Husband's like, we're checking out a different church next week. That's what I know. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is mutual submission within all the relationships that Paul is going to talk about through the next section, including marriage. All of it actually goes back to verse 1 of chapter 5, where he's talking about what it actually means to walk in love as a a follower of Christ. How am I going to live my life as a loving Christian? 
He says it again in verse 15, that this is about our walk. And then part of what it means to walk in Christ is this mutual submission that we have for one another. And that affects all of our vital relationships. So he talks about marriage, first of all. And then in the first part of chapter 6, he talks about uh, the uh, parent-child relationship. And then he talks about master-slave relationships, which we could just, we don't have slavery today, praise God for that. But we do have relationships that are unequal in our society. And the principles apply to any unequal relationship. And what he's saying is that husbands and wives, mutual submission. Parents and children, mutual submission. Slave-master or any unequal relationship, Listen, mutual submission even in that because we're Christians and we're doing it completely different than the way the world does it. Mutual submission. The word submission, to look at that for a second, the original Greek language word is hupotasso, hupotasso. The prefix is hupo, which means uh, to place oneself under and tasso, to be appointed to a certain position or place. So literally hupotasso or submission means I place myself under. I place myself under. And there's a strong sense of authority in this word. To submit is to place myself or be placed under the authority of another person. Submission, according to one lexicon, is defined this way. It is voluntarily yielding in love. And that fits perfectly with what Paul's talking about in chapter 5, verse 1, when he introduces the whole section and says, this is about walking in love. Submission is voluntarily yielding myself in love to another person. And so, husbands and wives both submit to each other in marriage. Everyone's still good? Everybody's good? Okay, then we go on. We'll break it down now into the two specific roles. Because they submit in different ways. This is the roles. A wife submits to her husband by respecting him. A wife submits to her husband by respecting him. Verse 22. Wives Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, interesting little thing in the original language here. Verse 22 doesn't actually even have the word submit in, in it in the original language. It's, it's translated into English so that it reads better. But verses 21 and 22 actually together would read, Submitting to one another in love. Submitting to one another in love. Wives to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands love your wives. And so it's, it's an assumed word in verse 22, but the wife is to submit in a certain way to her husband. He gives the reason in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Can't really argue with that. The church is his body and is himself its savior. So different roles, Christ and the church both have different roles. Husbands and wives both have different roles. This is how God set it up. And we're going to see that this is all tied into the gospel. It'll come, become clear in a moment. Marriage is a picture of the gospel so that Christian couples need to hear that your home should be pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I'm, I'm thinking about my marriage, I want my marriage to be in HD. I want a high definition marriage so that anybody who's looking in on my marriage can see the gospel of Jesus Christ in the relationship between me and Cheryl. That's what God is calling us to have. Now, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, places herself under the authority of Christ, that's submission, so also wives should submit in every way to their husbands. Then more clarity on what this submission actually looks like is found in verse 33 right at the end where Paul's recapping the whole section on marriage and he says this, let the wife see that she, notice this word, 
respects, respects her husband. A wife submits to her husband by respecting him. That, wives and wives-to-be, is what your husband and husband-to-be wants from you. He wants you to respect him. So this is a wife saying to her husband, because I walk in love, Ephesians 5.1, because I'm seeking to walk in love, I willingly place myself under, I submit to my husband, to his headship and to his authority. Now, I referenced this book last week. It's called Love and Respect. Emerson Egrich is the author of this. We talked about communication last week, and I pulled some principles out of this. But this book is really what has helped bring clarity to this passage through Ephesians 5 in, in helping to understand the love and the respect that husbands and wives need to have for each other. And I just pulled together some things that he says now under this heading of a wife submitting to her husband by respecting him. And just listen to this. this wives, this is what your husband is looking for, for from you. Appreciate what he does vocationally. Esteem him as the provider and protector of the family. Affirm his leadership, his decision-making, and help. Don't hinder him in that. Tell him, tell him you like him. He knows you love him. But tell him that you like him. Be involved in his life, in his activities. Encourage his male friendships. Encourage his leisure and his time alone. Respond to him sexually and even initiate from time to time. Acknowledge his temptations and be a helper in that battle rather than shaming him. Never use sex as a tool to manipulate him. Respect your husband. A woman submits to her husband by respecting him. And then secondly now, a husband submits to his wife by loving her. Now, again, remember, this is all still under that heading of verse 21. This is about mutual submission, okay? We're submitting to one another. And, and verse 25, now, husbands, the way you're going to submit is you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, I don't know if you read verse 25 and feel a little trembling in your heart over it. Because I find verse 25 to be the most frightening verse maybe in the scriptures. That the standard by which I must love my wife is the standard of Christ himself and his sacrifice of his life for the church. That's all. <laughs> Does that scare you? It scares me a little bit. This is the standard Christ has for us. We get an extended explanation of all of that. And again, we can't unpack all these verses. I've done individual verses on both, or individual sermons on both husbands and wives in this particular passage. We don't have time to go through all this, but in verses 26 through 31, you get the specifics of what that love looks like, what submission looks like in very practical terms. And then this very critical note in verse 32, notice it. This mystery is profound. I'm talking about marriage. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul's tying the two things together for us by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just about you and me being happy in our marriages. 
There's something much bigger going on in our commitment to our marriage. This is about communicating the gospel through this human relationship that we have. And so the submission and the sacrifice and the love, all very important words, the submission and the sacrifice and the love that a Christian husband and a Christian wife ought to have for each other proclaims the truth about Christ's own submission to the cross, about his sacrifice and about his deep love that compelled him to die for us. I pulled this together, it's from a number of different sources, but to understand what this submission looks like, what it means to love your wife, just listen to this, husbands. The husband is to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice for the welfare of his wife that Christ has for his church. The one peculiar consequence of Christ giving himself up for the church, that of redeeming it, is impossible for men to imitate. But a man may be said to give himself for his wife in a lower sense, by taking the chief share of the burden of life for her. And in that sense, imitate the love of Christ. So man, I would ask you, from your perspective in your marriage, do you believe that you are taking upon yourself the chief share of the burden of life off your wife? And then think about If that question were asked of your wife, do you believe that your husband has taken upon himself the chief share of the burden of life? Because, man, that's what we ought to be doing. That's what it means to love your wife. That's what it means to submit to your wife by loving her. That's what we have to give our life to. This is something she desperately wants from him. As much as men want the respect of their wives, the wives want the love of their husbands. Now, here's the thing. Men naturally respect one another. Watch any hockey fight. (laughs) They pummel each other. There's blood on the ice. They appear to actually hate each other. And when the linesmen finally break them up, They'll give each other a fist bump on the way to the penalty box. And they'll take their penalties with mad respect for one another. And women don't get that. (laughs) Women don't get it, but men do. Because men naturally respect. It comes to us easily. But we do not naturally love. Women naturally love. They're nurturers. They're caregivers. It's in their nature to draw someone in and comfort them. But women do not naturally respect. And if they have a fight, it's lasting a lifetime. (laughs) Now, what we're instructed to do here is, is what doesn't come naturally to us. And yet it's so vital to marriage That both husband and wife love and respect one another. And if we can get it right, it's self-perpetuating in marriage. One feeds the other to the benefit of both. Egrich has said this. 
His love motivates her respect, which he wants. And her respect motivates his love, which she wants. And that's what we need to commit ourselves to as we think about these two roles. All right, if you want to have a strong marriage, it must be built on the right foundation according to the God-established roles for husbands and wives and with single-minded devotion to each one's own relationship to Christ. Now, what I, what I mean by that is not that I am concerned, though this should be true as well, that it's not that I am concerned with Cheryl's well-being before the Lord. I am to, to do that, but that's not the emphasis of this. It's not that Cheryl is trying to encourage me in the Lord to grow in the Lord, though that also is important, but that's not the point of this. The point is that I'm really concerned with where I'm at with Jesus. And each individual has to be concerned where their own relationship to Christ is at. And so, and so two passages we're going to look at here, both of these kind of point us in this direction while dealing with some of the intricacies of crises in marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the first one, if you're already there. These passages are all in your notes too. So 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16. And, and marriage is put in its place relative to being single and dealing with the whole issue of singleness. And if you're single here today and you're enduring a message on marriage, I commend you and I thank you. Paul deals with that in some detail here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. He talks about, in the first five verses, he talks about purity in the sexual relationship. Then he gives testimony in verse 6 about his own singleness. And he, he makes a point here to not make marriage an idol. And by that I mean marriage then becomes our our small g God. It's the thing we worship. It's the thing we put the most energy into. And God himself gets displaced. And the problem is marriages come to an end and spouses die. And if that happens, then your God also dies with them. And then you're left with nothing. Marriage cannot be the focus. We can't look to be getting our fulfillment off of our marriage. Our focus needs to be on Christ. If Christ is at the center of your life, your marriage status is actually irrelevant. If Christ is at the center of your life, your marital status is actually irrelevant. If you're, if you're good with being celibate and remaining pure and remaining single, that's great and esteemed. If you get married, that's great and can be esteemed. Paul says it in verses, he's making this point in verses 7 through 9. And he says, each one has his own gift. Meaning whether you're married or single, that's actually irrelevant. And then he speaks to those in marriages with uh, a, a, a believer-unbeliever combo. And so because these are the early days of the church, you had two people and they heard the gospel and one of them responded to the gospel. They were married, they're married, but one of them responds to the gospel. Now one is a believer and one is not. And in dealing with, should I stay with this person? They don't, they didn't trust Christ. And Paul makes the point, this is in verses 10 through 15, that if the unbeliever, the phrase is consents to live with him, to stay together then you should stay and commit to the marriage. Because in some way, there's these verses described, a sanctifying effect is in play, even over the spouse that doesn't believe. 
And then in verse 16, he gives us the bottom line on all of this. And this is where we see that this is about my individual relationship with Christ. It's not about my spouse. Because now Paul makes it entirely evangelistic. Now my marriage is part of like the mission that I have as a Christ follower. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if they're happy to live with you, even as a believer then stay and live your life in such a way that that's a draw to the gospel. That's a draw to Jesus. Maybe, maybe they'll come to Christ. It's even clearer if you could turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 now. 1 Peter chapter 3, it's even clearer here. The first seven verses of 1 Peter 3 are all about marriage. This is what the apostle Peter writes. Likewise, wives, again, talking about submission, this is verse one, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, subject to your own husbands. Okay, so this is, this is where the equality, men and women in society equal. Women are to be submissive in the way that we've described here to their own husbands. Okay, but we're not, all men are not lording it over all women. Again, the women said, right. So, and the men should say amen too, by the way, to that. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, same situation, one is saved, one is not, they may be one without a word. You don't even need to be preaching to your unsaved spouse. One without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So even in this case, the submission that we're talking about for a wife, the respect that she's to have for her husband, again, that's going to happen if he's a believer or an unbeliever. And by living that out, by living out God's design for marriage, that becomes attractive to that unsaved spouse so that they might even come to faith as a result of seeing their wife's conduct and respectfulness toward him. And Peter goes into a bunch of specifics about that in verses 3 through 6. And then husbands are told in verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. Perhaps the most impossible to obey verse in the scriptures. Am I right, man? Am I right? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Last week we talked about, again from Egrich's book, about the codes. That men and women are both speaking to each other, but they're speaking in different codes and no one has the key to it. Right? So we're speaking in a way that we don't even... Now, I'm being told here, I got to live with my, life in a, my wife in an understanding way. And I get, after 29 years, I'm getting very, very close. I, I, be, I believe another 29 years and I might get there. See, it's a process that you're going to grow into through all of these years. So listen, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Nobody's going to get excited about that right now. We're not making a big deal of that. It's not, it's not a strength weak thing. It's a, it's a different roles thing. We're all equal, but it's a different roles thing. Since they are heirs, fully heirs, equal with you of the grace of life. Notice how this is now tied in to the husband's personal spiritual walk with Christ so that your prayers um, may not be hindered. In other words, husbands, if you don't get this part of it, if you're not submitting to your wife by loving her, if you're not living with her as best you can in an understanding way and growing in that, 
then you should not expect that your walk with Christ is anything. You don't want your prayers to be hindered. You don't want anything to get in the way of of your relationship with Christ and how you relate to your wife impacts that. It says something about you. There's an undeniable link, in other words, throughout this, there's an undeniable link between our personal walk with Christ and the success of our marriages. If you want to be in an awesome marriage, focus on you and Jesus. You thought I was going to say your spouse. Focus on you and Jesus. Maybe you've seen this before. It's the classic marriage triangle. I first saw it when I was a teenager, long before I was married. And it gave me an understanding of marriage that's helped me to this day. The whole idea is that when a, when a man and woman come together in marriage, there's, there's a considerable distance. I mean, the, the young couple thinks they know each other so well, and, and they're really quite ignorant, and they know nothing about each other. And they really find that out over the first several years, and, and really, again, throughout a lifetime. But, but there's a distance between you. you. You've been declared to be one flesh, but there's a lot of growing that needs to take place. The way that that marriage is going to get closer and closer together is if each of the husband and the wife, instead of focusing on each other, focus on themselves and Jesus. Because this is what happens then. As they focus on Jesus, as they put Christ at the center and they work on their own walk with Christ, they very naturally get closer together. The closer to God you get, the closer you will get to your husband or your wife. Now listen, if you take this triangle, if you put anything other than God at the top, if you flip the triangle on its side and you put your wife at the top or you put your husband at the top and God is out here at some secondary priority, it messes the whole thing up. And you end up in crisis and you certainly won't have the awesome home that God intends for you to have. So don't put anything other than God at the top. Now listen, if you want to unpack that whole idea, because I just spent like two minutes on it, but um, good friends of ours, Ron and Jody Zappia, uh, Ron uh, planted, uh, we were part of the same fellowship together, and he planted a year before we planted here in Barrie. He planted in the West Suburbs. It's a church called High Point Church in the West Suburbs of Chicago. And Ron and Jody did a marriage seminar up in Muskoka last week. They passed through here. I asked them to leave us a bunch of these books, The Marriage Knot, which they've just written. And they spend a whole chapter just talking about the marriage triangle. It's going to be super helpful to a lot of you. You can stop by the bookstore and pick those up uh, before uh, you leave here today. And I know that's going to be helpful to you. Listen, this is really what we're talking about here. This is the heart of the message. Everything else we've talked about, all the details of how we submit to each other and all of that, I'm just saying the heart of the message is right here. It's all about Jesus. Your marriage is all about Jesus. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not about your spouse. That's why to a great extent, it's, it's really your marriage, however it exists today and whatever your spouse is like, it, it's not about who you married because there are some people giving, them an ex- giving themselves an excuse right now saying, but you don't know who I'm married to. You don't know how hard this is. It's irrelevant. In fact, if we step back from the marriage discussion for a second and just think about life in general and how the circumstances of our life are irrelevant when it comes to our relationship with God. See, it's not about whether you're rich or poor. Both the rich and the poor can live lives of contentment and devotion to Christ. It's not about 
whether you're black or white or Asian, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your racial background, you can live for Jesus Christ and focus on your relationship. Your race in that regard is irrelevant. It's not about whether you're young or old. It's not about whether you're male or female. It's not about whether you're able-bodied or disabled. It's not about whether you're married or single. It's about how you, no matter your circumstances, are single-mindedly devoted to Jesus Christ. In fact, here's how Paul put it. We'll put these verses up on the screen for you. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Here's Paul saying, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Could you say that about yourself? I have learned in whatever situation, no matter the circumstances of my life, I'm content. Whoever my spouse is, I'm content. He says, I I know how to be brought low I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he states, this is the number one most ripped off, out of context, misused, misunderstood, misinterpreted verse in the entirety of scripture. Pull it out of its context, slap it on a plaque, post it on Instagram. I can become the captain of the football team. I can achieve my college degree. I can reach for the stars. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's not the interpretation. So take the plaque off your wall, burn it in your backyard garbage pit, uh, fire pit. This This is in context. This is no matter what your current life situation is, no matter what difficulties you face in the future, you can still be content and devoted to Christ. That's what that verse is. So, as that applies to marriage, wives, if you're married to a champ or a chump, you can be content and devoted to Christ. Husbands, if you're married to a Oh, you're really waiting for this, aren't you? (laughs) If you're married to a winner or a witch, (laughs) you can be content and devoted to Christ. See, because it's not about your spouse, it's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's it. If you want to have a strong marriage, it must be built on the right foundation according to the God-established rules for husbands and wives with single-minded devotion to each one's own relationship to Christ. Let's pray.